You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change Podcast by Nori, the world's first carbon removal marketplace. Here are your hosts, Ross Kenyon and Christoph Jospin. Hello, welcome to the Reversing Climate Change Podcast with Nori. I'm Ross Kenyon here with Christoph Jospay and producer Paul. Today we are here in Huntington Beach in uh, sunny Southern California, though it's been a little bit cold lately. Today we have a special guest because it's the first time that we've been to an industrial facility as far as I can remember. There wasn't another one, was there? Yeah, no, I don't think so. This is our first. Actually, there was, but you hit your head because you weren't wearing your hard hat, so you <laughs> totally forgot. <laughs> I got to wear a hard hat today, so that, so already it's a win in my book. And uh, well, to kick us off here, I want to quote uh, the graduate here and just give uh, one piece of advice, one word, plastics. So we're here talking about plastics <laughs> today. Uh, Christoph, why don't you introduce our guest? I kind of feel like... The conversation we got in between dirt and soil and plastics and polymers, there's probably a difference. Our listeners probably want to know, but... I would like to know. Yeah, we we don't know. Well, we do, but we'll fake that we don't know. Well, sitting across from us is CEO Mark Harama. This is his company, his new facility. Uh, Mark, what got you here today? Wow, how did you get involved with all yeah, this? Yeah, what is New Light Technologies? Ooh, a uh, couple, couple nice questions. By the way, half of my friends don't know how to pronounce my name correctly, so it's it's actually Mark Harima. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Christoph is bright red, blushing. <laughs> no, it's all right. <laughs> Mistake number one. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure everybody listens to this. All my all my buddies, they'll all know. Um, so how, how did it start? Um, my junior year of of college, uh, I got really sick. At the time, I was planning to go to med school. And um, something just started happening to my body. And I didn't know what it was. And I, I was going, uh, seeing various doctors for about a year. And finally, I just got so frustrated that I said, all right, I'm going to take this summer between my junior and senior year and just lay it all out and just do everything I could to figure it out. So I was in just heavy science research mode. And during that summer, I came across a newspaper article about methane emissions from cows. And, you know, everybody knows about methane emissions from cows, right? This is not new. But there was a specific number in this article that talked about 600 liters of methane per cow per day. And in the same way that you guys are, you know, trying to quantify, you know, carbon reduction. And for me, that was this quantifiable moment where you could say, okay, so that that farm down the road with a thousand cows, I can calculate precisely how much methane is emitted from that farm. And then all of a sudden for me, this, this light bulb went off where you know, this intangible thing of climate change became very real because it's not just about, you know, what's happening with the warming. It's also just the sheer amount of carbon, the mass of carbon going into the air. And, and the thought was very naively, there has got to be something we can do with that carbon. And that is what started the entire thing. Uh, that was about 14 years ago. So that's where it started. Just thinking about cows and getting getting tripped out on, on all that methane. That was the origin. Um, I, I think the idea was nobody was doing anything about it. I mean, everybody was talking about you know taxing carbon or trying to bury it underground. But when you look at it in that context, when you run the numbers, so 600 liters per cow per day, 1,000 cow farms, 600,000 liters per day, you can do the math divided by you know millions of BTUs and, and there's a market price for methane, you can do the math for what the, the price going into the air is. And so it started this chain of thinking of why can't we do something with that carbon that is not just good for the environment, but also good for the economy. We can use it as a resource. And so this started this whole, for us, it was the, our paradigm was how can we harness the market 
to reduce the amount of carbon in the air. And I know this is a theme that's near and dear to you guys' hearts. And, and it, it was the founding principle of New Light, not forcing people or, or asking them to do good, but, but make it so that you, you're giving them a better product, they're saving money, and in the process, they're making the world cleaner and, and healthier. Do you, do you want to say the line so I don't have to? <laughs> my, my like most repeated line from the podcast. <laughs> no, go for it, Ross. You, no, I don't want to do it. Can you, can you yeah. just do it? Ross and, and the rest of us uh, don't believe that people are motivated by altruistic things. They're motivated by uh, incentives that exist for them. And if we can find a way to align the incentives so that the behaviors that we want to see, like removing carbon dioxide and, and other greenhouse gases from the atmosphere, aligns up with uh, people's motivations to earn a living and uh, create goods and services that are valuable to people, that that's the way to success. I think there's maybe a hybrid. I think there are some people who are truly motivated um, and just want to do good. And there's other people who, and it's no fault of theirs. They've got, you know, kids to feed and, and a life to live. And I think if you really want to do something at scale, though, you have to harness forces that are that are big. And, you know, the world <laughs> world history shows that if you can harness the, the force of the market, that invisible hand, you can really move at speed and at scale. And so climate change has to be solved that way. Oh, for sure. I think it's just kind of a hard to sustain uh, a good hearted altruistic approach in the long term. I think, you know, appealing to people's if you're making a really good plastics product and it helps uh, the world and the economy, like who wouldn't support that? That just seems like an easy decision. So that was the founding challenge. When we started down this path, what we very quickly discovered was that a number of groups had tried to turn greenhouse gas emissions into uh, useful materials, including polymers and bioplastics. So we weren't the first to have the idea. And so then we asked, well, why, why hasn't this been successful? And what we discovered was that it was basically two things, price and performance. So the material that groups were making was very expensive and it also wasn't very functional. So even if you're an extremely altruistic you know, company, there's a limit to that, right? Um, let's say you consume a billion pounds per year. You can imagine if, if you're doubling the cost of that, let's say the plastic is costing you a dollar a pound for e easy math, and you're consuming a billion pounds per year, a billion dollars in cost. You double that cost. You're, you, know, you try going to your boss and saying, hey, I want to add another billion dollars. You know, it's just not going to happen. Uh, and then performance is just a non-starter, right? Like you, you have to at least provide the same performance or, you know, again, even if you want to use it, you can't. So that was our founding mission. How can we develop a material from carbon emissions that can match or outcompete on price and performance? And that was a long journey. And so a mission like that is awesome. We're so happy to be here. And we sit across from you and definitely feel like we are at a company that is changing an entire industry. You're taking an industry which traditionally has used petroleum to make plastics and now you're saying, hey, we don't actually need to use, we don't need to extract oil to make this product that everyone uses. There's a better way. It can be more durable. Actually, it can biodegrade. But there's, there's no petroleum in this at all? So we don't use any oil. There's no need for that. So our, our ingredients, so we have two pathways. We've spent many years commercializing our methane pathway, and we're also ramping up our CO2 pathway. Neither of them are oil-based. So we're either taking methane emissions or uh, carbon dioxide emissions. Wow. Did, did I cut you off, man? I'm sorry. You were like driving at something. You, you did, Ross. But this is why we keep you in the dark because we really like your curiosity. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the industry. You're changing an industry. And I, I'm kind of interested. You've got these incumbents who might look at you a little bit funny and 
maybe they're trying to fight you and push back against, but they can't necessarily do that because you have found a way forward. And maybe you could speak a little bit to how you see New Light and its role in transforming the and maybe you can get into is it plastics or are we talking about something different? What what sort of products? What and, and where do, where do you fit? Okay, so first we're we're trying to uh, get plastics out out of the world. Plastics are made from fossil fuels and they don't degrade. Um, now plastics have done a lot of good for the world, and we can't forget that, right? I mean, it's it's made things lighter. It's reduced transportation costs and the carbon emissions that go with that. Um, on a certain level, when you compare it to you know paper bags versus plastic bags, I mean, there, there's an open debate as far as the impact, positive and negative, of, of plastic. So while they're not all bad, we also have to recognize that the current situation doesn't work. Right? It's bad and getting worse. So we have to develop a new material. So air carbon, the product that we make, is a what we call bioplastic. And so the difference is, it's not made from a fossil fuel. It's made from carbon capture. And it is a biodegradable product. So now there's there's lots of different forms of that and how long it takes depends on where you put it. And, and you can put additives into it that change the pace of that. But fundamentally, this is a molecule that is made by living things. And so when you put it into uh, an ocean or a uh, wastewater treatment plant, it will go away eventually. So it's a little bit different than plastic. We're trying to replace plastics with bioplastics. Um, with regard to, you know, kind of how we fit, you know, I think if you go back to this concept of, you know, I think at the end of the day, everybody's actually a pretty good person. Um, and so if you look at, at oil and gas, as an example, they're within the, the climate world, you know, they're often kind of thought as the bad guy, but you know, they're just trying to make a living too. And they're trying to provide the world with, with a service, right? We're, we're driving cars. So thank God for them. Right. We'd be I mean, way worse off without them ever having existed. We'd be much poorer. Absolutely. Right. So I think it's really important to recognize the good and bad, you know, like there's, there is that in kind of probably pretty much everything. Sure. So when we look at oil and gas, we want to get to a turning point where when Exxon is going to build its next materials plant, they say, why would I build a polypropylene or a polyethylene plant if I can build an air carbon plant and make a whole lot more money and get higher, better market share? It just makes financial sense for me to do that. So our goal is to get to that tipping point when Exxon and Chevron, all these guys become the solution and not you know, what's perceived to be the problem. Uh, I think it's better than yelling at them and trying to crush them out of oblivion. Seems like uh, you might be more persuasive if they just switch sides, so to speak. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a function of the strength of your technology, right? I mean, um, you see a lot of big energy production companies today you know, building solar. And that's that's because solar has advanced to a to a point where profitability is starting to get on par. I mean, that's what we need to do. If, if you are a hardcore environmentalist, be a hardcore industrialist. Figure out technology that that can outcompete the things that are making the environment bad, and then you can move at scale. And that was the most quotable thing I think we've ever had. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, that's probably going to go in the show description. I love it. That was an interesting line. So we're talking about using carbon dioxide, using methane. You've got an input, which is traditionally used as a waste. Where are you getting it today? How does that work? So if you look at the methane side, um, there are a number of sources where methane emissions are produced. One of the sources is from farms. Farms have uh, what are called digesters. So you basically take whatever form of waste you've got that's organic, everything from manure through crop residues and everything in between. It's basically like a, a mini landfill on a farm. 
And so as that material sits around, it, it starts to decompose and starts to produce methane and CO2, just like on a landfill. So that's been one of our sources to date. That's um, like, is that like a big container? Like a yeah. Giant one? Think of a big tank uh-huh. where they're just putting a bunch of stuff oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and the microorganisms in there chew it up and burp out essentially methane and CO2. And then it's captured right at the source there. It's like a valve or something you plug into. In some cases, yeah. Uh, so in some cases, it's just a big open pit or a covered pit and it's producing all this gas and it's just being emitted. There are a number of farms, a growing number around the world that are capturing that methane and using it to to make power. Um, in our case, we've gone to places where nothing was being done with it. It was just being vented. Uh, and then we would, we would take that and run that into our system. Are you paying them for it? We are. Oh, yeah. so they're winning out of it too. Yeah. You know, one of the, the questions that we often get is, well, your material must be cost effective only because you're taking this waste and you're not paying anything for it. That's never true. If you're producing a valuable product, you know, again, going back to the idea of altruism, we just don't think that's a sustainable model to ask people to give it to you for free. You share in that value. So in 100% of the cases, we are paying for our carbon feedstock and we intend to do that going forward. It's just that, that for me makes more sense because now you incentivize everybody along the supply chain. So digesters is one. The next one is a big one for, for methane is landfill gas. So uh, in the U.S., you have a very, very large number of landfills, all of which are emitting uh, methane and carbon dioxide. A little over half, I think it's 60% now of those landfills are taking that and turning it into power. Some are starting to go into pipeline. Um, but then there's also a number of sites that just the, the dynamics don't line up, uh, whether it's distance from a transmission grid or a power purchase agreements challenging or permitting or whatever it is. Uh, so there's still a lot of methane just being flared. And so those are great sources for us. And then that gets into the next category, which is all the flares. If you look at the United States from space, which I often do uh, <laughs> at night, <laughs> um, and you look at the lights, you'll see all the big cities, right? And then you'll see these places in North Dakota and Texas that they look like big cities. It looks like a Chicago or a New York, but all they are is flares. Uh, you mean like they're they're venting methane and then they're lighting it on fire? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and all that is to to point out is just the massive, massive volumes of methane being flared. And what that is, is essentially you're burning it and you're turning it into CO2 and all that carbon is going into the air. Now, even if you take methane from a landfill and you turn it into power, you got to remember that carbon is still going into the air. So what I like about our, our process is that, you know, it's not a process that, you know, makes power and then still emits. We're, we're capturing it. We're turning it into this biopolymer molecule. And, and that is a solid product now that you can do things with. Air carbon sink. Yeah. Yeah. And now, sorry, just to finish that. So that, that's on the, the methane side. The CO2 side is, you know, there's the, all the classical sources. But the biggest, of course, are the power plants, right? And, and just you also have ethanol plants and places that do fermentation. So that's sort of your bio-based sources of, of carbon dioxide. Um, so whether it's coming from a fossil fuel or CO2, those are much bigger point sources than methane. And it's part of what our impetus has been to add CO2 to our overall production platform to be able to do both. And when you're taking CO2 and you have to add hydrogen to it to make it a hydrocarbon. And that's where, that's where like the, the energy comes from, right? Yeah. The, that, look at that chemistry, right? Yeah. So, that's, <laughs> nice. so that's where you're zapping the water with electricity and pulling the H out of the H2O. Yeah, so so our molecule is carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. That's the those are the the three things in air carbon. So you need a hydrogen source, and so that's absolutely one of the the um, the big costs of that process. Is, is getting the hydrogen and mixing it in? That's definitely a big part of the process. Yeah, yeah. So 
I'm interested. We're talking about reducing carbon or using it for a valuable process. That's we're on the reversing climate change podcast. So obviously we need to think in terms of, okay, what's the decarbonization process here? Can you talk us through a little bit of how all that works, how it checks out? Um, well, I mean, what, what do you say to the people who say, oh, well, New Light's just using a whole lot of energy here. Uh, this might increase the carbon footprint in some case. Convince us you have a great life cycle. <laughs> Well, first, um, yeah, it's a very, very common thing to, to say, well, I understand you're, you're using carbon emissions to make products, but what about all the power? Have you thought about that? <laughs> well, have you? <laughs> gotcha journalism right here. Um, yes, we've thought about that. So the, the, the challenge with, with carbon accounting is it's, as you guys know, I mean, there's, there's so many different places where you could draw the box. Is it cradle to, to gate? Is it cradle to grave? But when we've done our analyses, we go cradle to grave. What that means from the the moment you start, you know, having your inputs and the carbon footprint associated with those inputs from the power to the materials, you know, everything right through all the, the steps in between. And then finally, what, what happens to the product end of life, right? Where does it go? Uh, what happens to it when it's disposed? So that's the cradle to grave process. And then, so when we run our LCAs, our life cycle analyses, we do cradle to grave. Uh, and that gives you a complete picture of what's happening. Um, so we've done two third-party analyses. And those are important because, you know, in, in the world of carbon accounting, I think you can reasonably ask the question, how do you know, right? Like somebody tells you a number, how do you really know? So one of the tools, of course, is this third-party LCA where someone else comes in and it's sort of their credibility on the line to do an audit according to international standards. And that's how you create a, a certain currency, if it were. And I can't wait to talk about what you guys are doing with, with, with the blockchain and all that. But but something that 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 is uh, verifiable uh, and, and trustable and, and all that. So uh, to our product. So if you look at the carbon footprint for methane versus CO2, those are different. Uh, methane is about 23 times more potent as a greenhouse gas than CO2. So in the carbon accounting world, if you capture you know one ton of of methane, it's considered to be like capturing 23 tons of CO2. So the methane math is actually really easy. Let's just say as an example that for every pound of air carbon that we produce, um, let's say we take two pounds of, of methane. So that's 46 pounds of CO2 prevented from going into the air. Now, you 100% have carbon emissions on your behalf, right? The energy that you use to run your processes, all of that stuff. So when all of that balances out, you have a, a small amount of carbon that you're putting into the air and a whole lot that you're preventing from going into the air. And those balance out uh, pretty cleanly. When you look at CO2-based capture, uh, it becomes a little bit tighter, right? Because you don't have that 23x advantage. To make carbon capture, carbon neutral or carbon negative from CO2 capture, at least in our case, you need to use renewable power. So, and, and that becomes obvious on a certain level, right? Like, I, I always think it's funny when people say, well, it's just thermodynamically, like, it, how, how is that possible? Look at a leaf, right? When a leaf grows, it's pulling carbon dioxide directly out of the air. And it's certainly not putting out more CO2 into the air, right? So solar driven carbon capture is happening around us all the time. That is a carbon capture process. So uh, in New Light's case, uh, when, when we use CO2, it's important that we use renewable power to do that. I really like that you kind of pointed at a nature-inspired design. We were touring the lab earlier and we saw some polymers which were human-inspired. 
Could you speak about some of the different polymers and their uses and how what New Light is doing? Also, uh, what is a polymer? Oh, yeah. We didn't. We like <laughs> defining things. What's a polymer, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the word polymer, if you break it down the Latin, so you have poly and you have mer. You know, our, our <laughs> <laughs> why, why was that Thank so you, right? Yeah. I mean, so anyway, I, I'm done. Drop the mic. <laughs> um, so poly means many, and I don't know what mer means. No, I'm just <laughs> um, so mer is basically a unit, right? So when you have polymer, it's it's basically a string of units, and in the case of of our molecule, you have these repeating units, and it, essentially that's what a polymer refers to is a, a repeating unit structure. So this is not just plastics. There's there's lots and lots of things that are that are polymers, but but plastics are certainly a polymer. You have a repeating unit, and so this particular polymer that we make happens to be produced in almost all known living things on Earth, which is pretty cool in in my book. So the human body also makes this material, and um, so for a long time people studied it as a biomedical product. So on an immune basis, the human body actually recognizes it as its own. It won't reject it. And that's fascinating, right? So you can, you can make things like uh, implantable sutures and um, surgical supports and things like that. And the body will naturally bioreabsorb it. So it's considered a biocompatible material. So what I think is really cool is not only do you have a material made from carbon capture that has cost advantages, but you also have a healthier material, right? So you have the uh, few problems with plastics, right? Made from fossil fuels, emits about three times its weight on average in CO2. They're non-degradable. You're choking the oceans, but you also have the the actual physical contact issue. I don't want to blow this out of proportion because for most plastic materials, they're relatively inert and not that big of a deal. But you are seeing more th- more articles coming out like for oceans, for instance, where it's not just choking on plastics. It's also the things that are leaching out and bioaccumulating and causing problems. So what I really like about this molecule that we make is it, it is a natural molecule made in natural things and it's biocompatible with the human body. So there's a certain safety element to it too that I really like. Awesome. So I first heard about New Light about four years ago. I was at a conference. Someone was showing me a cell phone case made out of air carbon. I was like, wow, isn't that cool? I got to find this company. And it seems on the consumer side, you've got a real easy sell. And companies such as IKEA and others have committed to buying a fair amount of air carbon. Could you talk kind of about the product lines and how this will move into the sort of consciousness of everyday people? Yeah, absolutely. So I think in order to to do that, the the best way is to kind of talk about what our big vision is and then how we're how we're planning to get there. So we want to create a world where we've we've switched from the choice being plastics and going over to bioplastics. We we want to get to that place where Exxon chooses its next plant to be an air carbon plant or uh, something like it for both environmental and financial reasons. So how do you get to that scale where, where companies like that are, are doing making those decisions? Those are big, big plants and they can't all be built by New Light. In fact, if we want to have a global scale impact, um, the only path is ultimately through licensing, right? Um, if, if New Light builds a plant and then another plant and another plant, so now we're a decade in and we have three plants, we're still a drop in the bucket. So ultimately we have to get to a licensing model but to do that, you have to kind of be the, the first guy to build those plants. So our next decade is building those reference plants, getting those up progressively bigger and bigger and bigger 
and showing what's what's possible and then licensing around that. Uh, we've already signed uh, to date about 55 billion pounds of total air carbon and license production. So we've started the process. IKEA is one of our licensees. Uh, there's a company called Pak in Holland. That's another one of our licensees. So that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation to, to your question is uh, the products. So we you know, try to look strategically at which products can really sort of light up the imagination and show people what's possible. Cell phone cases was for us one of those kinds of products that you can hold and touch and feel and it's very real versus the back of a refrigerator. Great product back of the refrigerator, but might not inspire the imagination quite the same way. It, our, our launch with Dell was a very, very important moment for us because here you have this this thing that's perceived to be just all bad, right? Packaging, you know, what what good? It, but what if you could harness that part of the the global supply chain and packaging and make it part of a solution, right? Like, what if all packaging was capturing carbon as well? That for us, so those are the kinds of things that that we wanted to do to kind of show what's possible and and set the foundation for for growth, both on the product side and, and also on the um, the actual you know production side. Great answer. And I'm glad you got to the big vision. And yeah, after I touched that cell phone case, because I'm a used carbon salesman, I thought, all right, I got to chase this guy down somehow. I ended up, you responded to me. There's another one right there if you if you would like to make that a, a twice take. <laughs> <laughs> and you responded to me when I was working at the Center for Negative Carbon Emissions, and you made this comment, which always stuck with me, because here we are on or I was working for a development effort that was on the very early stage of pulling carbon dioxide directly from the atmosphere. Air carbon sounded cool. It felt okay. Um, but you made this comment, which you basically said, well, okay, we use methane, but we'd like to use carbon dioxide, which you clearly are now too. And you said, we're limited by where we can get that. And if we can get it out of the air, we can go anywhere. And so I found that interesting because then we're looking at actually creating negative emissions while also you're taking a, a waste product. So can you talk a little bit about some of the dynamics of how you think about scale, how you think about location, how you see getting CO2 out of the atmosphere or getting it from power plants? How does it all add up? Well, I, I'm a huge fan of DAC. I, I think it's, um, uh, DAC is, uh, sorry. Direct air capture. Direct air We've capture, trained yeah. you well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you for that. Um, That's the worst acronym of all time, too. It's like, <laughs> I hate it. Yeah, I sound, yeah. I who knows? Maybe a few years, years from now, it'll be this beautiful, like, oh, dang. Um, so I think direct air capture is is a beautiful thing, and I'd like to see more of it. You know, I'm inspired by what the guys in Germany are doing with Climeworks. I haven't been over there yet to see it, but I, but I, I know the founders, and I'm really excited and proud of, of what they've done. To show that the air itself can be a resource is such a cool thing. I think that has the potential to be one of those major historical shifts, you know, because right now we're getting all of our materials from, you know, under the ground. Uh, if you can put a, put a, you know, tap into the air. <laughs> For me, that's just really good. It reminds me of that, that old Tropicana uh, ad where it was basically the orange and you had the straw in the orange and now you have the straw in the air. Spend and less time at the dump too. A <laughs> little bit less time at the dump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I really like that. And, and from New Light's perspective, um, particularly now that we're doing carbon dioxide as well, you know, it's inspiring to think about the opportunity to kind of uh, run that process anywhere on the globe. Um, so and to, to your question about, you know, scale and how we think about all that, supply chain is a, is a big deal. Um, so landfills are all over the, the U.S. 
Um, and, and on one level, that's really nice because you have distributed production capabilities. Our technology, because it's biologically based, doesn't require nearly the capex that a metallic-based process, how plastics are currently made, that, that requires such massive infrastructure that you can really only kind of be profitable at very, very big scales. Because we're biological, we can build at much, much smaller scales, like 10x less, and still be profitable. So that gives us the opportunity to be scattered throughout, uh, reduce shipping costs, still have good economics. With that said, you, know, you, you do also want to grow quickly. So having a little bit here and a little bit there, while that's great, you know, we we want to see this thing move at big scale in a, in a short time frame for lots of reasons. So that's why, in, in part, why we added CO2 to our portfolio was to be able to harness not just methane, not just the methane side, but also the CO2 side. Sorry for tapping on the table. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, when I first got into uh, Nori, we were starting and we were talking about the different methodologies that were available for uh, removing carbon. Uh, the industrial products were the one that first caught my eye where I was like, this is great. You're taking something that no one wants and you're monetizing it and turning it into something that a product that's either better or it appeals to people's altruism. And they can say like, oh, for a similar price, I can get something that actually is not damaging to the environment. And that's like, that's the beautiful thing about what you're trying to do yes yeah i i think there's another element to it also which is um you know you guys get much more exposure to the the general fields so i'd love to to get your thoughts on this um but my sense of it is that at least in the u.s there's i, I think the science of climate change is relatively easy you know co2 and methane are heat trapping gases you put more heat trapping gas into the air air heats up Right. Um, so that's relatively simple. And then yeah, just it's the greenhouse effect. Right. And thank God for it. Right. It's why we're why we have the temperature that we have to live and we're just enhancing the greenhouse effect. So and you can do your own experiment, right? Fill a balloon with CO2, fill one with air and see what the temperature is over the next few days. Like one will get hotter. So these are empirical things that you can actually look at. And then you have data, right? Like all these years, it just keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter. You know, so anyway, so leaving that as it is. I think there's a sense that the problem is so big that even if you quote unquote believe it, and I hate saying believe science, you don't believe science, you look at the data and you, but, but anyway, <laughs> if you, assuming you, you accept that, that climate change is something that's happening. And, and even if you want to do something about it, I think there is this sense that it's just so big. How are we ever going to stop this thing? And so one of the things that I really like about the product is you know, to the criticism, well, you're just a drop in the bucket. That's fine. Even if we are just a drop in the bucket, we're still showing people that, hey, you can do something with this material, right? Like it doesn't have to go into the air. It doesn't have to be waste. Like you can actually turn it into something useful. And even if we are only a slice of the pie, which hopefully I don't think we are just going to be a tiny slice of the pie, but even if we were, I really just want to not to be sound cheesy, but I, I kind of want to inspire people and say, look, if we can do this, what, what can you do, right? Like there's there's probably so many ways that we can address this problem. And it's not that the fight is not lost. Like We can do this. No, we're also looking forward to the second generation of people who are going to copy you and, and try and like improve upon it. And also for all of our methodologies, we're hoping that once people realize they can monetize carbon removal, 
there's like a gold rush for this and we're all kind of depending on it for our uh, collective I know, happiness well being. I, I, I kind of want to do a podcast on you guys because like I, I really want to like find out more about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We, we, we can turn the table soon. Uh, Paul, you look like you're about yeah, to Yeah, I'm sorry. Go right ahead. There. Well, I, I, Ross, you, you kind of took the words out of my mouth a little bit, but um, I, I completely agree with you, Mark, that like we, you know, on our business cards and the, the name of this podcast is Reversing Climate Change. But we know that like, I mean, that's what we're trying to do, but we know that that's not just us. Like we're just one small piece in this giant puzzle of, of doing that. And, and it is all about uh, inspiring the, the next actions to take because these industries have to grow and scale. And it's, it's a global problem that's going to require uh, the efforts of many, many different people and organizations together. So yeah, completely agree with what you said. Yeah, hundred percent. I think sometimes just when you see something is possible, that it's, it gives you the courage to kind of take the next step. Exactly. Yeah. So so let me try in a minute or less to tell you what we're doing and then relate it to each other. We took a look at the carbon offset market. We said this is very com- convoluted and way more complicated than it has to be. The most important thing is to get the carbon accounting right. And for new processes that want to do that carbon accounting, making it easy for them to submit a methodology use that data to improve the methodology over time and have that open for anyone to come in and make suggestions on how to make it better. Mm. So where current methodologies are treated as intellectual property, we're taking a software approach and saying, let's build these where they're open, out in the open, and the data that goes through them improves them. So at the end of the day, we say a lot of things are happening right now, which makes this a seminal moment. The blockchain industry has erupted. There is a whole creation of value based on a technology that enables digital trust. And so using that digital trust, we say, well, there are today a lot of middlemen which kind of become obsolete. If we can prove that carbon has been removed, um, if we can find people who are willing to pay for that removal and we can match that up with people who can supply that removal, we can create a whole new voluntary marketplace and we don't need to wait for the UN any state or national government to come and say there's a price on carbon, we can go out and find volunteers such as large Fortune 500 companies, which have a mandate increasingly to prove that they're um, now removing carbon. So we are generating a new digital asset class called a carbon removal credit. Um, Every time one ton of carbon dioxide is removed from the atmosphere, a supplier will have that carbon removal credit, and it's paid for with a token which is backed by a cryptocurrency, and that token will immediately retire the carbon removal credit. Mm. All of this happens out in the open and can be built in a way such that verifiers and auditors, the same types of people who come in and do an LCA, can come and check and say, yes, indeed, this is true, and we have a process that people can trust. You want to add anything to that, Ross? Yeah, and the token is freely floating on secondary markets. So it's actually, for the first time, a universal price of carbon removal. So that's that's ultimately the goal and the purpose of the token that exists. Now, is that is that online? Is it is it is it there? Or is it still in sort of conceptual phase? It's it's on. So right now we have it's built on a test net, okay. and that's really important because we need to get the mechanics right and we need to understand how this token trades and how it'll all work. We anticipate that we can launch a platform this year sometime, and once that goes into circulation, things will start happening. We realize that we can't do everything all at once, and it's kind of bit by bit, and we don't expect this to be all that large right off the bat. We took a look at the market and the various ways to remove carbon, and we identified removing carbon in soils as the most readily available place to begin to do this. Mm. So let's bring this back to New Light. 
here's here's how we can work together, Mark. I mean, we we can pull, we can say, hey, there are people who want to pay you this additional price when you're removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Every time you do that, in addition to whatever you're selling your product for, as long as you're proving that carbon's been removed, you get paid. Simple as that. Well, I, look, I mean, I, I think it's a beautiful thing. I, I think for, for many years, the concept of quantifying environmental improvements in, in dollar terms has been like one of the big missing pieces, like saving an estuary, for instance, saving billions of dollars in, in treatment costs, but you can't, you can't quantify that. So I think that, that what you're trying to do has the potential to be really, really momentous. And to the extent that, you know, our products could be part of, you know, things that are capturing carbon. I think that element that, that you're talking about, the monetization element is part of what's nice about it is it makes it that much more real, right? Like if, if someone can hold, forget what dollar amount it is, even if it's a fraction of a penny, but if it's, if it's real and, and verifiable and tradable or whatever, I think it, because climate change right now is, I think, so abstract for so many people, not to anybody's fault. Like, I mean, even for me, I mean, it, every day it's still an abstract thing, but when you can hold it in your hand and when you have a monetary value, I think it start it could start to change the terms of the debate, right? How we think about these things. So, yeah, I mean, to the extent that uh, that would be something that we could participate in, obviously we'd love it. And I think you've pointed out that the verification process is... Like, I would love to know what are your biggest challenges and maybe you want to say, maybe you don't. But if I had to guess, I would think getting that the verification standards smooth and easy and set up is, is probably one of the harder ones. Um, I know when we did our LCAs, these are multi-month efforts. They're very expensive. And um, uh, so I don't know. Have you guys, what are your thoughts on yeah, that? Get Marcus at a steak knives. Uh, <laughs> I think he, he won the contest. Uh, the real challenge there is that every every different method of removing carbon dioxide requires a totally unique approach to measuring it and verifying it. And so we we see our role as uh, helping to get the first few or, or more methodologies kind of up and running and, and working with uh, the, the open community and getting feedback from participants in this on, on what is effective to measure. But eventually we, we want to have that sort of being driven by people who show up and say, like, I'm removing carbon dioxide. Here's my unique method here, are like the ways that I propose that we measure this and let's work on this together. Um, but that is like unique to every single one. So time has to be spent figuring out what is the way to to do that, that can that, that can prove to the buyers that they know that that carbon dioxide was removed somehow. Yeah, we, we we have a little bit of experience with that because we've we've looked into sort of are there methodologies that would apply to us and, mm -hmm. and how we could go about doing that. So somewhat familiar with that space, but but you're right. There's a lot of uh, customization, but hopefully once you get a critical mass, um, things can start to flow into those methodologies that are already in place. Yeah, and and our hope or hypothesis is that what makes us different from like say the existing carbon registries for the existing carbon markets is that. Um, those registries are uh, companies that need to earn revenue somehow. And so that is that is how they're charging revenue is they're charging you on listing fees and consulting fees to create these methodologies. And we believe that if we were to get rid of most or all of those costs, that it would be a lot easier for new entrants to come in 
and say that like, hey, we want to try this. So by reducing that barrier to entry, we want to encourage more people attempting to figure out ways to do that. And to kind of put it in the very simple terms that you did when we're talking about climate change, which we agree, right? It's a function of too many greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. So the most important thing is the accounting of those greenhouse gases. Now, there might be additional benefits. Um, there might be all sorts of criteria based on whatever methodologies. But when you look at the voluntary offset markets, they need to prove additionality. And we're doing away with that. We're saying you don't actually need to prove that this product wouldn't or process wouldn't have otherwise been profitable. We want people to compete. We just want to create a new way to get paid. Mm. So a lot of the challenges that go into these very long reports and these expensive consulting fees for LCAs, et cetera, will go down because we're just kind of getting to the bare bones of the carbon accounting. Mm. Yeah. Why would you only want to encourage marginal products that wouldn't already exist or marginal projects? I feel like if they're doing it, that's good enough, right? You want to encourage more of that. If they're more profitable, other companies will see that and then they'll race to compete with them. That's good. That is a good why, thing. Why do you want to block that's that how we whole scale. process? That's the whole point of like market competition. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk internally about the way that these current markets are set up. And, and it's it's not about the intentions of the people who set these up. Like the, it's, it's for the most part, the best of intentions, like trying to solve the same problem that we're approaching. It's just that it, it doesn't seem like it's working. So let's try something different. I mean, I think the high level sort of my takeaway is you're, you're basically removing a lot of barriers that, that currently exist. And if you could open up that space, just let it flow. Exactly. Are, um, are you guys monetizing in any way uh, carbon credits or avoided emissions or, or anything like that? No, we, we've always sort of had the approach that subsidies come and go and, you know, government type stuff comes and goes and, and we never wanted to rely on that. Where do you, the, where do you find these guys? Is there, <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like on the same page with a lot of, a lot of us values wise. So uh, that, that was always our, our approach. And so we never built that into our economics or fascinating. I'm sure you guys have seen 45 Q, um, mm-hmm. yep. which is fascinating. Real quick, Christoph, do you want to summarize that? 45 Q is part of the Futures Act, the recent budget that went through, and it's a tax credit that goes to utilizing carbon or that you can capture from a power plant or directly from the atmosphere. And I believe it's $35. 35 a ton. 35 for, a ton. Uh, I think the recycling beneficial use and then $50 a ton for sequestration. Mm-hmm. And if you get it out of the atmosphere, I think it goes up to $75 a ton. It, yeah, it's an extra $35. Extra I think. 35. This, okay. is, this is a, a, what, a subsidy? Or it, this, this is a federal tax credit. Oh, wow. So that's interesting, like price discovery for us to maybe think about. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's no, valuable information. This is, this is really good for us because this helps. Uh, this is just yet another um, source of revenue for potential suppliers for us. Would they get it on top of, they get the credit and get paid by us? Yeah. There's no reason not to do oh, that. Yeah, it's a totally different thing because it's a tax credit instead of like some sort of- Do you need to leave payment. right now? I think, <laughs> I think it, it, it's, ba- it's bad. It's, it's kind of corrupt, but I'm like, this would help, but uh, it feels <laughs> weird too because we would be paying them for this anyways. Yeah, but it, it's a, it's just a complementary subsidy. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, to put it back to you, how yeah, how do you think about forty five Q? Um, I guess I'm a little torn. I mean, anything to incentivize um, carbon capture, I, I think, is gosh, so so far overdue, and so that's that's great. Um, for the past fourteen years, I've I've you know tattooed on my back, you know, don't rely on subsidies, make this thing compete on its own two feet, and. Um, that's been a really important part of our of our whole development. Maybe that should be your inspirational quote. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in slightly slightly more poetic terms. <laughs> no, we'll just write we'll write that out verbatim on the wall. I find a, I find a Jack London quote about subsidies. Right. <laughs> about 
So, so I, you know, I, to the extent it can, it can move the industry forward. I, I think that's just, like I said, so far overdue. And, and I, and I love that part and I'm surprised it's happening now, but it is so great. But on the other hand, you always have to be a little bit skeptical. And if, if your whole business is based on that and, and knowing it could be pulled out from under you at any time, I think that's a, you know, you just, I think to build a really strong foundation, you have to be able to survive without it. So we would always continue to take that approach. So I respect that. Smart, like conservative approach. That's, too. That's, you never know. That's good business. Yeah. 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 Well, this has been a great podcast. Uh, really grateful for your time, Mark. I think we covered a lot of ground. That's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Had some laughs. It was good. Glad Thanks for guys... letting me wear a heart hat. Yeah, too. you're welcome. <laughs> Very welcome. <laughs>